Happy Friday, Rockwell. Didn't you hear? Wednesday is the new Friday. Wednesday is the new Friday. So at Design Collective, we have tomorrow off because it's the 4th, and Friday is a, a quote-unquote uh, quiet day, I guess. <laughs> is that, that's what Lindsay keeps saying. So it's basically like, hey, don't work, but be around in case of emergency, which basically is me, <laughs> uh, you know, in case the servers, in case Cloudflare has another, has another problem. <laughs> oh, God, that's, down. that's like twice in two weeks. Is it? I so I didn't even know. Uh, you you messaged me and said, "FYI, uh, just in case you're waking up to this, this is what's going on." And it was it was back by the time I and everybody else on the West Coast was awake. So I didn't really get any messages about it. Yeah, I thought my Wi-Fi was just crapping out, but yeah, it was Discord, uh, Design Collective itself. I guess you're using Cloudflare. I didn't know that, but mm-hmm. turns out. Uh, what else did I notice? Slack was like intermittent like it seemed okay but i guess some people were affected yeah it was a whole thing twitter uh was having some weird issues this morning because i was i was messaging a friend of the show brian and uh i think he sent me a link which i'll talk about but i tried to respond to him and it looked like the message sent but when i refreshed the page none of the messages were there so i kept typing to him and they just wouldn't show up and a few hours later, I went back to Twitter and all of them had actually like sent <laughs> later. And then I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to just blast your DMs, you know. Um, but yeah, it was strange. I, I, it happened on all of my devices. So uh, on on Chrome, on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, it was all happening the same way. When you're a service's biggest Twitter, you probably utilize uh, message queues <laughs> for like yeah, literally right. everything yeah it's just it's it, why do you think about that ui though like it it seemed like it sent to me but the other person wouldn't have received that message yet and then i when i refresh it's not cached there so then it's gonna it's like prompting me to send it again because the messages are gone well most of the time it is though but not all the times well we got to deal in absolutes only siths deal in absolutes maybe we don't <laughs> only sis you you just expose me on um eventually live air i knew it all all this time so so yeah uh cloudflare had a weird thing if i remember correctly i'll have to find the link to put in the show notes but if i remember correctly word on the web is that it was caused by uh, a regex or something oh no i did not hear this yeah so this is hearsay because i'm not looking at the article right now but uh, I'm pretty sure that well, the official like reason was a failed deployer or something like that. And then I remember seeing on Twitter people were talking about people were arguing about regexes again and uh, how you should be testing things. <laughs> and I, I skipped, I like sidestepped it. Um, but yeah, so if I'm remembering correctly, if I picked up the information correctly, it was due to a regex issue with a deploy. Oh boy, yeah, not not amazing. Um, but yeah, happy. It's, it's, it feels like Friday, even though like I'm on call on actual Friday. But uh, have any have any plans for the the Fourth of July for all of our American listeners? <laughs> right. Uh, I have. Uh, I got some friends coming down, and then the four of us, myself and Jess, and our two friends, are going to drive to Hartford and take a plane down to Montauk for a barbecue because apparently it was a really good barbecue joint right next to mm. the uh, airport there. And I've never been out to Long Island, so that will be that will be a cool little adventure. I was there once uh, many years ago, 
And I remember this because it was after a show that we played. It was so cold. We were trying to put the trailer back on our van and it was so cold that we were cranking. Uh, so we had, we had, we'd, we'd hitched it onto the van and we were cranking up the little foot mm-hmm. and the handle just broke. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So then we had to find a wrench and, and crank it for the rest of the tour like that. It was so stupid. Oh my God. That, yeah. That's my one experience with uh, Long Island. I assume it was like winter, right? I mean, yeah, it was winter. Wow. <laughs> I it wasn't like a pile of trash trailer either. It was a pretty pretty decent trailer. So I attribute some of the mechanical failure there to the the cold uh, that we were experiencing. But I also remember uh, around I think it was the same time we were headed to New York. Going, we we're going. Uh, uh, south to north, headed to New York. And I remember that one of the roads got closed and so we had to just camp out for a little while. Uh, we couldn't go through. If I remember correctly, it was like a pike or like some sort of toll road or something like that. They are just like, oh, we're close. <laughs> Can't go through. And so we uh, had to find a, a place to chill. Just try not to get carbon dioxide poisoning in the van. Yeah, yeah. It was wintry, that's for sure. That sounds good though. Barbecue, barbecue sounds good. And, and you're flying down there yourself. Yeah, and I realize now that it sounds like the most first world sentence that could possibly exist. Oh, we're flying down to the Hamptons for barbecue. <laughs> right. Yeah, chartering a plane. Yeah. Although, although my boss did tell me that that there's like these different services, like they're like Ubers for jets, like private jets, and sometimes it's actually cheaper if you're going certain destinations. So, like for example, if you're going to, um, if you're going from LA to somewhere out like San Francisco or something like that, it sometimes is cheaper. And I, I'll have to ask her what the service name is and put it in the show notes because I don't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, there's a really popular one called there's a really popular one called NetJets, which uh, is not really quite an Uber, but it's like. They call it a fractional share program where you kind of buy in and yeah, you get a certain number yeah. of hours per year or something on certain types of planes. And But the planes are all over and you just schedule it and hop on one and you get where you're going. I, I don't know about cheaper necessarily, but definitely more convenient. Well, I mean, for her, probably cheaper also includes time, time, time for travel and stuff like that because her time is arguably more valuable than my time. <laughs> so... So, you know, I'm cool because I can plop down and, and do what I'm doing at an airport and nobody cares, you know, but if she's having to go for a meeting and schedule a bunch of meetings and different things where she can't be productive in the same way at sitting in an airport, it's different, but I don't know. And yeah, I'll have to ask her what she... We're just going to be squeezing four people in a Cessna 172, which uh, has the only air in that is when you're actually moving. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting. So... Before we get to the tech discussion, I do have a question. Are there stereos in those little airplanes? So this is a great question. The short answer is not really. Um, every you there the planes are. I don't know if you've ever been in a small plane before. Uh, a couple times. So you know it's really freaking loud, and you have to basically wear a headset or fear hearing loss, right? So you can't really have like a stereo, right? Because you wouldn't be able to hear it. But some planes, and this plane does happen to have it, have a line-in jack. Mm. So on my iPad, I have a bunch of uh, albums downloaded in offline mode. And then I plug that into the line-in and then everyone can can jam out. And it automatically uh, mutes it when the air traffic control comes on. Uh, so follow-up question. Do you force all of your passengers to turn their devices into airplane mode? Or is that the airplane mode? Oh no, absolutely no! I sent I sent Jess a selfie from five thousand feet the other day. So what's the what's the service up like like up there? Pretty good actually. You know, you have line of sight to all the cell towers, and granted, they're 
antenna patterns are pointed, you know, terrestrially towards the ground. Like if you're over a populated area, you can get you can get cell service up a few thousand feet. Hmm. <laughs> I haven't tried FaceTime yet. <laughs> I'm trying to get all of these questions out that I'm that I'm now thinking about. So I I have been in. I think it's called an archer. The kind of plan that I was in. Yeah, so, Piper Archer. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back when I lived in Minnesota, I had a friend that was working on his pilot's license and he took me up a couple of times and all I did was just freak out the whole time by sitting completely still and staring uh, because I didn't like it all that much. But yeah, that's, that's my, my experience. I don't you're you're a big guy. That. I mean, in a small plane, that's can be uncomfortable too. Yeah. So I, I don't usually, I'm not usually afraid of heights, but only in a few uh, situations does it trigger like a vertigo or like a, I don't like this type feeling. And for whatever reason, it, it was kind of turbulent. There was a lot of like wind that day uh, or like the first time you brought me up. Also knowing like, it, it's just like this guy that I know and he's like, get in a plane with me. I was like, okay. Uh, I don't, yeah. It's not like, hey, get in a car with me. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Maybe some, some trust there. It's, maybe it's not inherently more dangerous, a plane, but I don't, I don't know. But yeah, it was, it was, it was, um, an, it was an interesting experience. I would do it again for sure, but I was also a lot younger then too, so that could have been part of it. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's it, some people like all they want to do is fly, and yeah, some people I've talked to are just like have zero interest. You know, it's definitely hit or miss. Well, so when I was younger, I used I used to hate roller coasters too. I just would not get on them. Ah, uh, uh, no, don't tell me that. So and then one day. Well, here, here we go. So like one day, I, I can't remember how old I was. I was in high school, I think. There was like a field trip to Valley Fair uh, every year. Valley Fair, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But basically, they had this one roller coaster called the Wild Thing, and it was supposed to be really badass. And uh, it, basically, the first drop goes almost almost vertical, I guess, something like that. I don't know. They had like all these crazy TV commercials and stuff, I remember. But so I used to be just like, I just wouldn't get on those. And then one day, I was like, you know, I'm just going to get on this roller coaster. And I got on it. And the whole time, because the first drop is the biggest one. So the whole time it's just like clack, 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 clack. You know, you're just going up and it dropped. And I was like, that's it. <laughs> and <laughs> ever since I, I, I really enjoy roller coasters. I like stuff like that. So, um, I think now my experience would probably be a lot different. I think that's the experience with a lot of people, honestly, like that the first drop is like the, the fear and the dread turns into fun like almost immediately and then it's then it's smooth sailing after that. I don't think I've met anyone who's ridden a roller coaster and has been like, no, that's not really for me. You know? I mean, I've seen plenty of YouTube videos or like family, America's Funniest Videos or whatever. Uh, I can't remember which one it is, but there's this kid. He's like screaming. He's with this woman named Janice. He's like, Janice, help. Janice, help me. Janice, help. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> I just remember that. Uh, but... Yeah, you should look YouTube that Janice roller coaster. I don't know if you'll see if you find it, but that one was pretty funny. I I yeah I I think maybe it was the anticipation and just the sound like that the loud clacking noise the whole way is what I didn't like. But yeah, so I guess onto some more uh, tech talk because that's what people want to hear, right? I guess that's what they're coming here for. <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah. Uh yeah, what's been going on there? We've got we got a lot of this show notes are filling my screen here, so you've got a lot going on. What's what's up? Yeah. Okay. So so this has been a big project. This has been something, and I want to talk about this because it's been something that I've wanted to do with Design Collective since, uh, I mean, almost since it actually launched uh, the Elixir version. That is Elixir rewrite. So um, when when I set out to start on the Elixir rewrite, it was what two years ago, and 
And I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I think the Rails app actually used Devise. And so I remember just searching for, oh, Devise for Elixir. And the first, one of the first things that came up was this library called Coherence. And it was pretty similar to Devise in that you get a lot of stuff seemingly for free, right? So they have, you know, user authentication. Um, they have different modules for like remembering, um, inviting, locking accounts, signing attempts and all that stuff, right? And and so I was like, okay, this is great. I'm going to go with this. But it was still pretty young. And quick question, was the Ruby or was the Rails DK using uh, device? Yeah, he was using device. Okay, so that's kind of where you were coming from. Yeah. Yeah, but also I was in the mindset of like, I need to get this thing out the door. Like I want, you know, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time rewriting something from scratch. I need to get moving on this thing. And so the, my mindset was, hey, let me reuse the library that already exists and does most of the stuff that I need. And also at that point too, uh, it's probably worth noting that uh, at that point, uh, Design Collective wasn't an API and uh, a spa or, or you know, it wasn't split into two projects. It was one server-rendered Phoenix app. Um, and, and so Coherence came with, with that. So it just generated like the, the sign-up page for you, the sign-in page, password reset pages, and all that stuff. So uh, basically, I just threw some CSS on it and called it good. And, and so that, you know, it went pretty okay. Uh, but it was also uh, just a, a, a factor of timing, I guess, too, because like I've mentioned a few times, when I first picked up Elixir, Phoenix 1.2 was out and people were writing uh, really fat controllers, I guess, I think is, is one of the biggest um, reasons I saw for uh, Chris and crew to try to introduce the idea of context and, and behavior or uh, boundaries or be, what's it called? Behavior driven, no, no, domains. Trying to, trying to encourage like domain driven design and, and all that stuff. And so I came into Elixir with Phoenix 1.2 and then 1.3 happened. And so I upgraded, but coherence was still kind of written for 1.2. And around that time, I, I, maybe I don't, I don't know exactly when, but somewhere along the way, the original maintainer uh, just got busy and wasn't able to keep up with pull requests or keep up with refactoring and stuff like that. So uh, basically at that point, as soon as that happened, there was kind of like this divergence of coherence was written a certain way and the Phoenix community is going another way. And there's just not a lot happening in the way of bringing it up to speed. Now, there have been a lot of pull requests and stuff you know, to, you know, the community, the community was trying to work on coherence, but it's kind of hard to get them merged sometimes that the maintainer is just kind of MIA, which is sort of what happened. And, and so, yeah, that shift happened and I was like, Hey, it still works. That's fine. And, uh, so then we continue on and then, uh, I realized, Oh, well, coherence, coherence was, was built with, um, with, uh, with, so basically it stored, it stored sessions in an agent, uh, so, so since we were running things on Heroku, if like 10 people signed in and they said, Hey, remember me. And I deployed something to Heroku and the server restarted, well, they would just be signed out because the agent, every, it, basically the sessions were stored in memory is what I'm trying to say. Right. Uh, so then I had to figure out, okay, well now I have to persist these sessions to the database or Redis somehow, uh, instead of using what coherence kind of shipped with out of the box because it doesn't fit, uh, our our server setup right and by the way also like i'm looking at the coherence docs here 
on Hexdoc, it's 5.2 or 0.5.2. There's mm-hmm. probably 30 modules here. Yeah, it's big. And it's there's a lot of stuff. It's very, like, this tries to be the the do-all solution, much like Device was, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so then I had to try to figure out, okay, well, now we have to now we have to change that up. And so luckily someone had written up in the wiki, oh, here's a, here's a module you can drop in to store your sessions in the database instead of an agent. It's perfect. Let me drop that in, you know? And then we fast forward a little bit and then... And then we start adding in API endpoints, and so now I have to to work up some sort of, you know, token based authentication for API requests and stuff. Um, fast forward some more, and then we do the front and back end split, and so then I kind of have to hack in my own uh, token authentication stuff. So basically, to build on what we had before, and kind of along the way, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of time spent. I think it was like just me at that point. So I was like, this has to this has to be done. It's not like I didn't feel like I could afford to spend a lot of time like actually designing something and spending time on making it how it should be. I was just like, all right, well, someone in an issue like here pasted a little bit of code and it worked for them. So let me drop this in here. <laughs> uh, so all that to say, two years later, I just have this like kind of spaghetti mess of of what used to be something that was designed for a server rendered app. And now I'm like API only and I've kind of hacked it along the way to work. But it's just not working or it's not, I didn't, I didn't like it. Like having it there made me, made me stressed out. So, so looking like fixing bugs or, or if someone was like, Hey, let's add this other step into signing in or track this other thing. It was really difficult to do that because along the way, I basically had to copy and paste the controllers out of coherence into my DK app. Like, so going into the dependency, get the controllers paste them in there and then hack them up. Right. Oh my God. So at at what point, like why, why did you, I want to say why did it take so long, but like obviously doing, replacing it with your own solution seemed like too much work. Like it was too much time or you just couldn't afford to spend the time or, or what were you worried that wouldn't have all the features that you needed? Like what was the main hangup? No. So yeah, the main hangups were, I just didn't feel like, I think it was, it's kind of like this fake thing that you, it's like this busyness that you kind of invent for yourself. Like there's so much to do. I, it doesn't seem like, even though I don't like this thing, it doesn't seem like it makes sense to spend time on this thing. Uh, there are other features that need to be added that, that affect the bottom line. Right. Uh, and maybe that's not, that's not fake or invented busyness, but I guess at that point it was really like, that's the thing. Like we're spending time on features that customers need and it still technically works. And I think what needed to happen was there needed to be like this, this flip of, okay, now, now we should probably remove this. And part of that was, uh, I'll put the issue in the show notes, but part of that was Phoenix one four came out. And at this point, the author is, was completely MIA, just not responding to any, any issues or anything. No pull, pull requests are being merged. No additional maintainers were added. So it's just kind of stuck. And, to make make things work with Phoenix 1.4, and I had to update to 1.40 to to add an APM because we were using um uh what's the new relic, and they required Cowboy 2, uh for 
specific reasons. And and so then basically I just had to upgrade everything, right? Get to Phoenix 1.4. Well, coherence just didn't work with 1.4. And so some some kind soul uh, submitted a PR that made it work. And so he was like, oh, FYI, my company is using this PR branch in production and uh, it's fine. So uh, people started kind of thumb upping it. And I can only assume that everyone that thumbed up it are actually using that branch in production, including Design Collective. <laughs> Uh, so, so the, the scales tipped, I suppose at that point, I was like, okay, the maintainers totally MIA. There's not anyone, there's not any additional maintainers added. And my only recourse here is either continue to use in my mix file, specify a specific like third party pull request branch or pull it out and replace it with, with our own custom solution. And so, um, yeah, I started finally doing that. So for what it's worth, the original author of Coherence, posted in Elixir forums back in April about forming a, trying to form a core team to manage the project. Uh, Sorry. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm sorry. This is December of 17. So, yeah. Obviously, this is moot, so never mind. Continue. Yeah, and and my my intention isn't to drag him through the mud at all. That's not what I mean at all. Uh, No, I mean, yeah, we, open source, this is just a, of you know effect of that it's just yeah exactly it's just part of the 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 young ecosystem too right uh and so since then there are some other really promising uh libraries coming up so like there's one called pow that looks really really cool uh it's 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 super modular so you can plug in and, and unplug what you what you need or don't need from it and uh it's it's pretty easily extendable and so they have a bunch of plugins so for example they have plugins for um um, OAuth sign-in, for example. Um, and I think right now they're actually working on uh, setting it up so that way, because I think initially when it was released, it was released with basically server-rendered apps in mind. And so now they're working on documenting uh, token-based auth and, and you know apps that want to use it that don't need any sort of templates or things like that. So that seems like a really promising one, but yeah, it's just par for the course on an early in early community, right? We're obviously early adopters, and so this is sometimes what happens. Um, but yeah, I think like now that the focus for Design Collective isn't features, 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 it's marketing, sales, uh, aligning, visions, you know, whatever hashtag marketing words you want to throw out there. That's what they're really focusing on. Now I'm a lo- I'm really like running alongside them and saying, all right, well, let me work on the platform. Let me do things that I've been wanting to do for a while. And one of them is replace coherence. So um, it just happens now that I have the time to really work on this thing and actually take time to do it right. I don't want to, I guess at first I thought about why don't I just swap coherence for POW? Uh, And POW actually has a migration doc for coming from coherence. But again, it's a similar thing where there's not clear documentation on how to make it work for an API. You can do it, but you're still having to write your own custom controllers and stuff. So at that point, I was like, hey, I don't really need a whole lot. We're not using a lot of the features that Coherence shipped with anyway. So, and on top of that, I already have sort of custom controllers. So why don't I just strip Coherence out of those controllers and replace the innards with a a few modules of my own? And that way, um, we have what we need, nothing more, nothing less. And... I'm I'm actually finding a lot of benefits in that as well. And this kind of stems from what we talked a little bit about last week where we were talking about metaprogramming and talking about how, um, what was, a Crudery, I think, was the library 
uh, and how Crudgery basically, it, it could save you time. You have a context, say like users or posts. Let's say you have a context called posts. You pull in Crudgery and it generates say 12 functions for you, but you brought up some really good points. Like, hey, you can't search for those. You can't jump to definition for those. You can't document those. They're basically pushed into a black box in into your application. And so as I'm replacing coherence, this is what I'm running into. It's it's becoming really hard. Like you said, there's a bunch of modules. It was becoming really hard to jump around and even just follow uh, a sequence of events through the chain to the to the end. And uh, so I guess really what I wanted to talk about was some things that I learned or some approaches that I took that helped me refactor that, uh, refactor coherence out because it's, it's almost done actually now. Uh, I assume. Yeah, and for what it's worth, this is not just a problem with coherence. Like I ran into this with Devise with Modem Radio. I mean, we still use it, but oh, yeah, we use yeah. literally all the escape patches, right? Like we, we <laughs> there's a uh, there's a I almost said mixed task. There's a rake task to generate a control on all the views from, the, and then you just kind of customize them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can do whatever you want, and uh, all the oh, yeah, it's all the device stuff is just just hacked to pieces because. <laughs> all the custom requirements that we had and uh, the the core features that we actually leverage are not really that complicated, right? So, I mean, I'm still sticking with it. It's been fine. Uh, I had to roll my own token-based session management for APIs and sock- web sockets and stuff, obviously, but it's, uh, yeah, I'm not happy with it. <laughs> Again, it's I think it's just a problem with, with these generic libraries in, in general. Like Phoenix is, Phoenix doesn't, I feel doesn't have this problem because you can really, really strip it down to like the bare bare bones and just to end up with an application with, you know, no Ecto, no JS, no asset compilation, nothing, right? You can just basically work with Sinatra, right? And uh, yeah. Phoenix is general purpose, but it gives you, I don't know. I don't know how it's different because it, uh, I don't know. It just it just feels more, more additive. Like the more you use Phoenix, the easier it gets like the more you leverage what it has, whereas the more you use some of the features that an authorization package use, <laughs> the more restrictive it gets. Sure. Yeah, I I think that it's it's just becoming so so for me, I think you nailed it you you nailed it earlier when you said um it's less you it's becoming the the solution that we have is becoming less generic and more specific, basically is what you were saying. So we're removing so coherence is is using a lot of metaprogramming because it has to, right? It has to be generic, so it has to, it has to be able to support a number of different configuration setups. It just so happens that that inherently just adds complexity, right? So, so for me, when I'm jumping through things, I'm having to keep five or six different files open. I have to keep the config file open because you can basically override uh, any of the modules that it uses. So, uh, you can you can tell it what auth module to use and based on the auth module, it expects there to be a certain number of functions in there. Um, and you can override those too, right? So when you start jumping through the code, you hit the spot where it's like nothing is solid in a sense. It's all metaprogrammed, right? So anything can be anything at that point. <laughs> uh, and it's just really hard to follow. And so one of the things I did was I just took a pencil and a piece of paper and I just took, I just basically drew uh, breadcrumbs. So if I started this module... If I was able to jump definition, I you know noted like the module and file number that I added on or landed on, and then if I could jump to the next one, I would do that, and then I would have to go and consult the config to see which uh, module we had used, and then go there and look for that function. So basically, I had to like, kind of write my own flowcharts 
uh, following following the path through. And so, starting the project, I basically made a checklist in Notion. I have to replace registration controller. I have to replace the token controller. I have to replace the confirmation controller. Uh, and I started outside in uh, at that point because for me, those were things that I kind of had already worked on. And so there, there are concrete places that I could start. And so I started from the controller and the action actions in there, right? So I would start at token, co- token controller create, jump through there. And then as I went, I would uh, change what I needed to. And also, as I went, um, I I started writing controller tests for each controller because, shame on me, but they weren't tested before. Uh, They were click tested. So what I did was, as I went through, I wrote the controller tests and that allowed me to go through and make changes and uh, just totally not break everything along the way. So the bulk of the change up front was actually changing a couple of plugs um, replacing the control in or uh, the coherence uh, token plug or authentication plug, uh, and the uh, the coherence plug that set the current user and the cons. And uh, so once I got those replaced, it became a lot easier to kind of go through and find and replace my way through things. So it's really interesting. I, maybe maybe you're doing this. I'm not sure, uh, but from the way you described it, I might have done it a little differently if I was approaching this problem. Uh, the testing, obviously, that's that's awesome because uh, that's more than <laughs> I would have done. Uh, <laughs> sure. When I run into garbage code, whatever, whatever it is, if it's old, if it's crappy, if it's whatever, I'll take that garbage code and I'll put it in a function, mm-hmm. right? Just literally copy paste, right? Pass in the primaries you need, whatever. Put it in a function, give it a name, and and put the garbage behind, like put the lid on the garbage can, right? <laughs> and then literally, what you can do is just when you're ready to replace the garbage with something that's nicer, then you just re- rewrite that one function. And then in theory, like your controllers and stuff, you don't even have to touch those, right? So it's kind of, you're refactoring and, you know, in preparation for a rewrite and then yeah, okay. make the rewrite really, really easy. I don't know if you did it that way, um, but that's kind of, that's the approach that I would have, I would take. Yeah, it's interesting because it would, they were kind of, halfway there almost because I had to over, I had to make the custom controllers anyway. And so I did a lot of the work back then because I had to kind of reverse engineer it and then build those controllers up (laughs) anyway. So that, that's a good, so, so when you say that you kind of like wrap that in a function and that way you could swap, basically you could write another function and then swap the usage out when you're ready to, to change it. That, that made me think about Coherence originally was written. There's tons of logic in the controllers, or lots of like conditionals happening in the controllers, and and you know the whole idea, I guess MV, MVC or whatever, is to have skinny controllers move that elsewhere. And so with Phoenix, you move those in a context, or move that in another module, move it somewhere else. It doesn't belong in the controller. Uh, and and there was, uh, I'll, I'll I'll try really hard to find the post that I read. I think I bookmarked it, so I'll try to find it. But um, I read a blog post that. Uh, I think what it amounts to is just service procedure procedure modules, basically. So um, instead of having your controller, uh, say you have a password, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Say you have a registration controller where a person can sign up. So what are different things that a registration controller might have to do or a registration process might have to do? You have to create a user. Um, you have to verify that user, obviously. You have to respond with errors, if there are any. Um, 
you might have to do some extra validations, right? So for example, with us, we check all new email addresses against Mailgun's validation API. And so basically it does uh, common misspellings. It does an SM- SMTP check on the address to see if it's deliverable, things like that. Uh, then you might have to send a welcome email. Um, you might have to like dispatch a notification to say Slack, like, hey, we got a new user or whatever. Um, so there's just a bunch of different steps. And so uh, you could, you could A, push all that stuff into a context, uh, like a user context, and then have function like send welcome email, um, et cetera. Uh, but I also, what I what I saw was this this person was advocating basically procedure modules. So like a uh, user register would be a module and they almost made it like a, almost, if I'm remembering correctly, they actually used um, ecto schemas that weren't uh, virtual schemas basically. So I'm having, I feel like I'm having a really hard time describing this. Like it's not making sense, but. So, so what you're saying is they're, they wrap up the, the process of everything you need for just that one particular flow into like a struct mm-hmm. yeah. basically. And so you have everything yeah. you need in one place and you kind of pass it through a pipeline more or less, right? Yes, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> yeah. So in your controller, uh, it would basically just be, you know, with past params into user registration, or user register, and that would do all the things, and it would return return the response you needed at the end. So literally, the controllers looked like they just had a single function in them. Yeah, I mean, I think that like makes a lot of sense for the the more complicated stuff, which, <laughs> as your application grows, is every controller, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> re- yeah, registration. I mean, all those edge cases you, not, they're not even edge cases. All those complexities you described are just give me anxiety just thinking about them. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's a that's a cool pattern. It reminds me, kind of reminds me of service objects, but but not really, because like I like the idea of kind of this meta uh, model that that represents the the actual process itself, as opposed to just individual things that you have to pass in a, a million arguments into a function. It's not really tenable if you have to change or add something. Yeah, so I, I I've been trying to find it while you were talking, and I can't find it, but I did find an article that I'm pretty sure I got f- from the article that I was talking about. Uh, and, and the article is called Task-Driven User Interfaces, which I'll put in the show notes. But yeah, it, it feels a lot like that. So you're wrapping... So so Design Collective as a whole right now is there's a bunch of contexts with a bunch of functions in them. And so, for example, the sale context will have functions for creating a sale, updating a sale, deleting a sale. But it also contains all the functions for starting a sale, um, sending, uh, like triggering notifications for, Hey, new sale has started or, um, you know, expiring a sale or turning notifications saying, Hey, a sale is halfway through. Right. So I feel like I could shop that up, like slap chop that up into different tasks. Right. So maybe the sale starting and reminding could be its own module or whatever. Um, and the CRUD functions can be their own module or whatever. But anyway, uh, there's there's lots of different ways to, to, to cut it up. But but yeah, so I ended up being able to um, remove a lot of the stuff out of the controllers because in the interim, I had written a lot of, uh, added a lot of functions that I could just use to replace whatever coherence was doing off the top. And so the controllers got a lot shorter, which was, it felt really good off the bat. Um, but I, I like that idea that you mentioned of, you're almost like mocking that function or like stubbing that function out later, right? So you just swap it for another one and no one no one needs to know eventually. Yeah, I like having all the crap in one place. And then like the refactor becomes, you literally have one file open. Right, yeah. 
And I feel like testing would probably be a little bit easier at that point too. Um, I, ha- I don't do a ton of controller testing in Design Collective. I, I think actually these new these new modules that I've replaced Coherence with are actually the most trusted controllers in Design Collective. We do a lot of context context testing. Um, but I feel like moving moving that stuff out of the controller and into to context make it more easily testable and more easily... Um, you could just chop it up more, I guess, right? Maybe that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, absolutely. So are your, are your new authorization controllers... Sorry, not authorization, authentication. Are your new authentication controllers uh, basically like one-liner methods, functions? Wow, I'm all over the place today. Oh, oh <laughs> methods, wow. Yeah, almost, almost. Uh, so it's not, I mean, it's not the cleanest yet, but for example, the registration controller, um, when, when a user actually successfully registers, so that reaches out into the accounts, um, the accounts context, and then it comes back if it's successful in a new task, I... I send a Slack notification uh, to us, and then I send um, I trigger the welcome email. So that happens. That happens in the controller too, and I could easily move that into a context, but I, I don't know. I just left it there for now. It's just wrapped in a task. So how much time did it actually take you when when this is all said and done? More or less. I mean, like from when you you decided this is going to be a thing to you said you're almost done with it, right? Mm-hmm. So how how much work was it actually? Uh, so far, so I haven't I haven't been able to spend more than a few hours on it at a time. So that's been spread off spread out across four days, I think. So if I'm thinking, I spend maybe two and a half or three hours at most a day on it because the rest of my time is spent in meetings and communication and other things. So three six nine, maybe 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 twelve hours total. Okay, so like like. Two days, more or less. That's, I mean, that's yeah, yeah. That's pretty good considering you were, you know, more or less putting it off for this long, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been putting it. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. Paul and I would like almost every week mention it, and we could just never get around to it. But you also had all this time to sort of crystallize, you know, your exact specifications for what you needed in an authentication system, which you didn't necessarily even know from day one. So I guess that definitely helps. Yeah, yeah. That's that's another thing too is we are able to only have what we need. And so, uh, I mean, a lot of the work that I'm trying to do in refactoring is is clean things up and organize things because, again, it was like a, for a full year and a half, it was just a feature sprint. And so we just have crap laying around. And so when, we have new, when I have new contractors coming in, I don't want them to have to walk around the crap. I want them, I want things to be organized and I want them to be able to, you know, look at a document and be like, okay, this makes sense. And, and so if, if I bring someone in and I need them to work on the auth system, well, now they have to learn all about coherence and all about the, not only about coherence, but also about the kind of like gray area in between where we had to change coherence, right? So they have to learn about that. The modules and the overrides and the custom controllers and exactly copy pasta. Exactly. So the I think the really big win on this, I mean, no, number one maybe is to not have to depend on a pull request from some third party. Uh, but number two is that it, things become so much more transparent, right? So for me, again, coherence had to be this way because it had to, to be a generalized tool. But for me, it felt like when I first started jumping into it, it was smoke and mirrors all the way down, right? It was, it was config dot some module here and apply here all the way down. And now it's like, okay, the controller reaches into one context. This other controller reaches into one context. It's, it's, 
it's much simpler. Uh, it's more shallow. It's easier to follow. And you can you can jump to definition, all the things. And maybe that's a bad metric to be using. But for me, it makes a huge difference. If I'm going a few months between working on things, if I'm able to just jump through a thing without having to get out a piece of paper and a pencil and actually manually take notes on this thing, that's a huge win for me because it saves me a lot of time. Uh, so, I mean, those two things alone for me are, are worth it. And hopefully for, you know, Nick, once he gets into the, the elixir, it'll be worth it for him too. But I think it's just better, right? I mean, last week you said, Hey, maybe we shouldn't be striving for all these generalized tools in standing up web apps because eventually we're in situations like this or situations like you're talking about with the device where you're having to use every escape hatch that's provided for you, right? Uh, because eventually you'll get to a spot where you, you're going to have to replace it or rewrite it or just deal with the complexity of half using a library and half overriding it. Yeah, and that's not to say there's no place for those kinds of libraries. It's just it's hard to know from the beginning if if that library is going to be enough, if it's going to, if you're going to, you, yeah. you just, just don't know, like for, you don't have everything planned out and you can't anticipate all the crazy other stuff that you're going to have to do. You could, I mean, you can make the argument that any sufficiently complex application is going to need those things regardless. Uh, but who knows if your application is even going to get that far. Like, <laughs> you know, if you, if you spend a whole bunch of time writing a custom auth system uh, and you run out of money, and your your business fails, right? Like you have to at least get to that point to even know you have a problem. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I it's it's easy to throw stones when you when you're at this point, right? When you're two years in. Yeah, yeah. They, that's a really great because I was gonna try to try to make that disclaimer too. Is like again, I'm not trying to throw stones, and like you said, we're at the point we're at the point now where this is this is something coherence allowed me to to get this thing out the door, right? The original. Um, Elixir app was made in two months and was pushed out the door and coherence helped me get there. Um, I guess, you know, to end on a, on a, a good note, it would, one thing I wanted to think about was like, what would a library look like that would have helped me be successful and not have to completely replace it? And I guess the answer is something that's more modular and, and uh, less, uh, it's funny to say this because for the history of the show, I've been talking about, I need rules and I need, conventions, you know. Uh, but I think if coherence were to be more modular up front. So like I mentioned POW, POW it's, it, it, in its core is is basically just a bunch of plugins that are pushed together. And so if you need to use a certain feature, you can just you can just configure it to be in there. And if you don't need it, you just don't configure it to be in there and it's not in there. Uh, so maybe maybe an API that looks more additive, I suppose, than, than whole hog at once would have would have been more helpful. So Elixir and Erlang are functional languages. They're literally just modules. There's nothing inherently special about modules. They're just bags of fun- functions, right? And yeah, you give them names and stuff, but like it's just functions. It's just all functions, man. And I think an ideal library, I mean, this is what I think, this is what I was striving for when I wrote Bodyguard, right? So where I was coming from with authorization, by authorization, I mean like, can user X do think Y, right? Uh, my experience with authorization in Rails land was using a thing called declarative authorization. It was a, it was a Ruby gem. And you basically wrote a giant uh, DSL config file that said users of this role can do these 
these actions on these models and so on and so forth. This is big, complicated config file. And then depending on, like you had to, it was mostly like static, like you just defined things. But then there's also some code in there because you had to do like custom logic and stuff. And then it comes this mess of like what's config and what's actually runtime code and yada, yada, yada. So, and when I'm looking at this plugin-based system of something like coherence where everything, like you said, you had a config file open, right? Like as one of your files, like that's, yeah. to me, that's that's like the main failure of this kind of solution that it shouldn't be config-based. Config-based is uh, like, uh, it forces you into a corner that you don't need to be in, right? The, the most flexible thing that you can write in Elixir is writing code, like literally writing functions that do things you know, lines of code, as opposed to saying, hey, this is what it should do. It's like, no, this is what it does do, right? And so I think that an ideal library that gives you the most flexibility is going to be primarily based around functions, right? When I wrote Bodyguard, it's it's literally just a, it's all based around one single behavior that says, hey, implement these functions and you'll get authorization for free, right? And right. I think... I mean, I'm I'm totally like this is obviously a very difficult problem. I'm not saying it's easy, but in my mind, if 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 you were going to write something like this uh, in a in a Elixir friendly way, I think I think it would have to be based around functions as a primary unit of getting things done, the primary unit of doing the authentication, generating the views, doing tokens, doing password checking, et cetera, et cetera. Like everything should be like there should be some default that's reasonable, but easily overridable right and and easy to find and, and trace through yeah that's that's kind of big picture how I, I think this could be done properly yeah i i guess one so so now where i'm at in my my ideas about developing web apps is is i really like the pattern that plug has so you need to do a thing you you push a plug into the stack and that does the thing it's easy. It's easy to follow, right? It has a formula that you follow. It has rules that you follow, uh, and if you don't need the plug anymore, you take the plug away and it's gone, right? Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And that, I mean, that's a little bit different than say a library, right? But like you said, if you have a library uh, where where it implements some basic things, and then if you want to do something, you add whatever functions in. To me, that that seems easier for me to manage than it's easier for me to add things after the fact than to try to take things away after the fact, I guess is maybe what I'm getting at. You brought up a really good point with plug because plug is such a good fit for a functional language. Having a pipeline of, you know, just function, you call function, it returns a thing. You call function, returns a thing. I mean, that's what made rack on rails or on Ruby so powerful. And actually in the remote ham radio messaging server, which is all Phoenix, I have uh, my own it plug like thing where I have I have my own message struct which is all these WebSocket messages passing back and forth through the system and then I have a, a pipeline of handlers that each one has a chance to handle that message and generate more messages and or throw away the message or do do all kinds of things in a in a very functional way that like literally you know every handler is own module and i can like you said add and remove them as i need i know where to find them i know what they're named uh they behave in a you know depend or uh they behave in a predictable way i i think that's a great pattern yeah so i i think 
I don't know, plugged made it just work in my brain. So, so the most node experience I had was building a couple of things with happy JS. And I remember really liking the idea of plugins that they had and a plugin had this, all the plugins had the same signatures and, and they worked the same way. And so to me, for whatever reason, it just clicked. I was like, Oh, I can build my app with a bunch of plugins that I stick together, you know, uh, as same way with, I guess, express middleware. Um, and the other day, I saw some tweet, some people tweeting about this uh, library for Rust called uh, Warp, and so I was looking at the Warp readme, and the readme says the fundamental building or the 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 best thing about uh, Warp is the filter system, uh, and the filter system provides out of the box path routing and parameter extraction, header requirements, query string deserialization, JSON form and bodies. I was like, hey, that sounds a lot like what Plug does. And then I looked into it more and I was like, filters are basically plug in, in this setup, right? So whatever pattern you call plug, I don't know if it's middleware or whatever, but that, that I don't know. To me, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And again, it doesn't necessarily fit like an authentication library, so to speak. But uh, I, I, what I'm getting at is I guess like with plug, again, you add what you need and you take away what you don't. But up front, you don't have to, like Phoenix doesn't ship with all the plugs and then you have to deconfigure what you don't want. You have to add what you want to it, uh, to me, which to me, that feels much more, um, maintainable because what you see added to it is what you have. There's not things there that you can't see that you don't know about. Yeah. I think that's a very good way to approach these kind of things, especially again, just general purpose. Like you, you don't want to be customizing things that exist because that's, that's like making it more complex something that already you don't maybe necessarily need. Mm-hmm. You're adding you're adding complexity where it's not necessary. Right. Yeah. 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 I uh, <laughs> I think I told you about this uh, in a, one of our conversations a while back. I never published it because it was just kind of a thought experiment. But I I tried to write a general purpose pipeline system, just like plug, except plug always you know deals with con objects or structs. But uh. I tried to write just a general purpose pipeline thing and I, I called it PARP. <laughs> PARP. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen this. PARP. And, uh, I, I wrote it on an airplane because I was bored and I was like, how how much interesting code can I write with no internet and just a uh, you know, pure elixir and no dependencies? And I tried to write this general purpose pipeline thing. I didn't get very far with it. I didn't publish it but because uh, I didn't think it really had any value necessarily because it's just so simple in the concepts right like it's just functional 101 but it was interesting to think about how you could apply that that pattern to to other problems yeah and and add some niceties like being able to handle asynchronous things nicely being able to compose things nicely be able to you know work with a common vernacular and how you're building these things but yeah i don't know Maybe someday I'll go back to it. I don't think I even have it on my per- private GitHub. I think it's just on my MacBook somewhere. <laughs> I remember I remember the name Parp. Yeah. I do remember that. Shout out to that blog or the, uh, <laughs> oh, what was that? Hyperbole and a half. I just like the name Parp. Yeah, Hyperbole and a half. It's a great webcomic that I got that from. Yeah. So I'm looking at POW right now on their custom controller documentation. It looks like you just make a new controller change your routes, and then you use various POW plugs in your controllers. To That's how you customize it. That's cool. I that like makes that. sense, yeah. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I had. I mean, that's refactoring coherence is a big thing. It's been something that's on my, my list for more than a year, at least. 
uh, something that made me think a lot uh, in the wee hours of the night when I couldn't sleep. I would think about coherence. <laughs> you might have a problem. One of the many things. One of the many things I would uh, think about at night, but it feels it feels good. I'm learn. I feel like I'm learning. I feel like I'm I'm learning more. I'm learning the right way to do meta programming. I think because I did end up moving some things, especially around like controller testing, into my concase module uh, and and using macro and stuff. But uh, it feels feels good. Feels good. That's great, man. I'm happy for you. I'm glad to hear this. Uh, you'll, you'll feel a lot better when this when this com- is completed because it. I know you've been harping on it for a while. Well, you won't get any more screaming uh, DMs in, in Discord anymore about it. So. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I'll just get screaming Discord messages about something else. About myself? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I did order um, Elixir in action. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that comes on Friday. So I'll probably crack into that over the weekend. I appreciate the uh, the shout out there. If anyone else wants to read along with me, too. I've never done a book club thing before, but I'd be down to read and discuss chapters if anyone else has the Elixir, Elixir in Action book and wants to do that. I've got it on my shelf here. I'm looking at it. Do you want to do a book club? You can reread the book. I mean, I would probably learn a lot more just by rereading it at this point. Right, right. Yeah, maybe we should talk about that. See what see what that looks like. That could be fun. I'll just leave it out on my coffee table and as motivation. Just let Bucky read it and then he'll, he'll whisper into your ear as you're working. Bucky doesn't even understand basic logic i think that cat's i think that cat's smarter than you give him credit for i think he's just playing dumb yeah <sighs> well if anyone has any stories of their own of, of refactoring things that they've wanted to refactor for a long time success stories things that'll make me feel good and happy uh, i would love to hear them you can message sean on twitter sean Washbot. i'm shrockwell and the show twitter is at dnc show uh, I did mention a, a number of things that I have to look up after the fact to put in the show notes. So I'll make sure to get those there. Uh, so, so if if you're looking specifically for one of the articles that I mentioned, if you're interested about it, uh, you can head to dnc.show. Uh, the episode, the show notes will be on the top left. It'll be the first episode in the list there. And you click on that and they'll be available for you. And I suppose they'll probably also be available in whatever podcast app you're using, whether it's Overcast or Pocket Cast or Apple podcasts or one of the other 1000 uh apps that are out there now uh so yeah hit up the show notes to find any of the things we mentioned we'll also post uh the show notes over on spectrum.chat you can have discussions with us there as well come say hi questions comments concerns criticisms criticisms all the criticism yeah i suppose i suppose constructive um and as always thanks to spec for having us and uh helping us with the show and in listening to us and just being there for us. Thank you, Spec. And if you're into other design and development related shows, you should you should definitely definitely head on over to Spec.fm and uh, check out the shows there, like Fragmented and Developer T and Swift Unwrapped. Uh, you should you should do that right now. Spec.fm. This episode of Does Not Compete was edited by Mikhail Delport, who does not have tomorrow off, <laughs> and produced by Sarah Jackson. Happy birthday, America. Yeah, something like that. I'm just thinking about the hot dogs. <laughs> okay, all right. Time to get real. Hot dog brands. Hot dog brands. Um, You got a favorite preferred type or style of hot dog? Type or style of hot dog. Or a brand. I'm really trying hard to think right now. Um, 
so hot dog specifically hot dogs it's themselves uh i do like a good beef like a, a good beef hot dog i don't know actually i've tried a bunch of brands i went on this like hot dog spree where i bought a different brand of hot dog every week and i don't know like if you just want that ballpark taste i suppose nathan's is a good one for that they don't plump or anything but they taste pretty okay okay yeah nathan's nathan's is a solid choice i'll I'll agree with that. What are, <laughs> I, I'm not a specifically opinion either way, but what are the ones in the blue boxes? I mean, ballpark beef are pretty good. Nathan's is good. KM KM. I I, I've called. been on a KM kick recently because yeah, I don't know why. I just have KM's pretty good. Okay, now next question: hot dog rolls sliced on the top or sliced on the side? What do you mean by sliced on the side? Right. So so this took me like I didn't realize this until I was thirty that there are two different styles of hot dog rolls. Okay, so there's... My God, I'm looking at pictures and I see it now. <laughs> right? Well, slice at the top because if you slice it on the side, it's just going to fall out or you're going to hold it like it's sliced on the top. Well, <laughs> so by slice on the top, you mean sliced across like the brown part, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but if you look at, like if you think about, I mean, you just hold it differently. It's more like, it's versus like a hot dog roll versus like, is it a grinder roll, right? That kind of right. shape. Yeah, I kind of like to eat my hot dogs in like a sub bread. Like for a sub sandwich, I just put a hot dog in there instead. Mm. One time we had no food in the house, so we took hot dogs and we wrapped them in Pillsbury Crescent rolls Ooh. and just made gigantic pigs in a blanket Ooh. <laughs> for dinner. <laughs> I like that. It was fantastic. A little bit of mustard. I like that. After we got back from Iceland, I was on a huge hot dog kick because the hot dogs there were so good. That was unexpected. And uh, yeah, so so I would just make hot dogs <laughs> all the all the time. And uh, that's when I was trying out the different like brands like KM and stuff like that. Cool. Well, well I hope you have a hot dog filled weekend. <laughs> uh, I'll send you pictures. Please do. All right. We'll put them in the show notes. No, we won't do that. Talk to you later. See you, man.